1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris.
0: And this is Anthony.
1: And this is episode 362, From Book to Board, The Lord of the Rings. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, there is one podcast to rule them all, and turns out it's us. Go fake. Huh. Who knew? I, I know, right? It's the least of them, right? You would never think, but it turns out, you know.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, there's there's the analogy. Yep. Now that's now it makes right. more sense. That that's right. we are very much like the hobbit <laughs> of podcasting. We are. <laughs> I, I think that's an apt description of
1: us. You know, we are we are definitely the hobbits of, of the uh, board gaming media industry, so <laughs> Nonetheless, we are here with you, our our fair friends, on a little bit of a journey here. Uh, for this episode, we are jumping into one of the greatest, if not the greatest, book of all time, "The Lord of the Rings." Anthony, you've heard of this book,
0: right? Never, never. Okay, this nope. is going to be a the hard. Point, I've seen the movie. Seen the movie. Seen the movie. Someone, someone told me it's based on a book. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Who reads books? Those kids in those, yeah. I don't lovers. even know, man. <laughs> Honestly, I don't remember the first time I read this. I, I feel like maybe it was read to me when I was like six uh-huh. because I just kind of have a feeling of knowing the, the world of Middle Earth, it's just in my bones, right? Mm-hmm. It's like knowing that you know, Turkey exists, yes, the country of Turkey. You're like, yeah, I know that's there, uh, Middle earth there, I know Lord of the Rings. Um, so yeah, no, this has been you know, I've read them many, many times. And I honestly, I will be honest. I have not read the books in probably 20 plus years since the movies first came out. And now I kind of just lean on the movies a little bit. Sure. But that said, even now when I watch the movies again, I'll still remember like, ah, they forgot that part. Ah, they met, they changed that, you know, (laughs) like it's still there. It's all still there.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it goes way back personally, like as a kid, you know, I think I think it, obviously it's a little bit before my time, but you know, watching the Lord of the Rings, the animated film. Oh um, yeah, yeah. From uh, you know, that was kind of like the classic, and it, it had that rotoscoping in it that mm-hmm. made the made it look really surreal. Like the orcs were very scary because it, it had that kind of like not uncanny valley, but there was something unreal but real to it, which is I guess the the effect that it was trying to go with. And I remember being a kid going. I'm not scared of this, but it's kind of really messing with me a little bit. Like I feel really spooky here. So that was my first kind of connection to it before the books and everything else. So we're going to be talking about Lords of the Lord of the Rings and especially all of the wondrous games that come from this wondrous book and movie series Even if you're not a fan of The Lord of the Rings, you're certainly, absolutely, positively, I guarantee you, going to be a fan of these games. These are, in fact, some of the best games in board gaming, right? I think we can kind of say that openly and loudly.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will say, I think four of these games are in my top 100, so... It, you know, we're going to talk about 14 different games that have the Lord of the Rings IP on them. Most of them based on the books, a couple kind of started based on the movies, but are now just general Tolkien universe. Yes. But yeah, there's so many good games out there with this IP. And, um, you know, I've, I've met some people who are just like anti Lord of the Rings and not a fan, but most people don't care. They're like, this is a good game, you know, for several of these. And we'll get into what those are.
1: Yeah. And and these games are some of the best, Implementation of certain mechanics. So whether you look for troops on the map, whether you're looking for an LCG, a hit and roll, hit a movement kind of thing, like these games are fantastic. So stick around because I, I'm guaranteeing you this is going to be some of the best board gaming on one episode that you've ever seen. But before we get into that, Anthony, obviously board gaming and tabletop gaming and video gaming is huge, as we talked about last week. Uh, some other stuff happening this week that we should talk about because it seems to be a thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, um the I know last week we talked about the Activision story. So uh this week I guess Sony's decided they're gonna try to catch up to Microsoft. I don't know. <laughs> to be fair well, though, like it's it's only been like ten days and you can't just buy a company in ten days. So they were probably already working on this, but yeah. <laughs> maybe they pushed up the timing a little bit. Um I, I would be amazed if a company could just be like, All right, go find me a company to buy. I got five billion dollars to spend, let's do it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how this works, but that'd be pretty cool. But um, to be,
1: to be fair, $3.6 billion, like you said, doesn't fall out of your couch cushions, but at the same time, if you have $3.6 billion, (laughs) purchase a random company, then maybe you could get things done that quickly. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, you know, Bungie at this point, famously, famously developers of Halo, right? Yes. And, I mean, now these days, though, if you'd say that to anybody under the age of 30, they'd be like, you mean Destiny? And they do mean (laughs) Destiny, but also Halo, right? Um, So it's interesting, you know, a company that used to be not necessarily owned by Microsoft, but very much like under the Microsoft umbrella and basically Mm -hmm. launched the Xbox, now being owned by Sony. It's just kind of a weird, it was weird to even have Destiny on a PlayStation in the first place when it first launched, and now potentially only on PlayStation. So that's a little weird. Um, it doesn't feel like it really goes toe to toe with Activision though, when you have like Call of Duty and World of Warcraft and Overwatch and Candy Crush and everything else that came with that deal before, but maybe Sony's not done yet. Who knows?
1: It seems like a very strategic move. I'm sure on behalf of their, of their shareholders, Mm -hmm. you know, to actually not just purchase a company or a big company, but purchase basically something in Microsoft's backyard, and again, like we talked about this, this is not just about the actual game. this is about the IP. And, you know, the next 50 to 100 years, they're looking for the next Star Wars. So, yeah. you know, if, if they're able to mobilize this and utilize this in a real meaningful way, I mean, look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe now, it's like everywhere. It's, it's much more, you know, pervasive, you know, expansive than it's ever been before. So, you know. We might see something like that from the Halo universe. This might be a whole other metaverse, so to speak.
0: So, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and Bungie's like a whole like Destiny. Like I have friends who play Destiny and have been playing it for years, and it's it's a it's its own world unto itself, right? It's basically an MMO, right? People play it constantly; they play hundreds of hours. There's new content constantly coming out for it. So it's not for me because I just don't have time for anything that has that much time content (laughs) in it. But what little I have played of it, it's a very good game. It's just it's an ecosystem right it's a whole thing it's a lifestyle game we talk about lifestyle games and board games destiny is a lifestyle game so pick you know having a lifestyle game in your docket not a bad thing no not at all and again something that's even
1: more important than that anthony there's another game that was recently purchased what about that
0: oh yeah so uh if, if you've all uh, been living under a rock for the last month or so, um, then you've never heard of Wordle. What? But, uh, yeah. The rest of us have heard of it, and especially if you're on Twitter, because it's just constantly people posting their scores from Wordle. Um, if it's a very simple game, it it was developed by um, I think Josh Wardle is his name, and <laughs> he, he made it kind of as you know a gift for his wife who like loves word games, and then people found it. And it launched, I think it launched in the fall, but people found it it kind of exploded over the last like month and a half. Um, Millions of people play it every day, including myself. It's like takes five, 10 minutes. It's just like a, if you ever played Mastermind, it's that, but with words. And so the New York Times being, you know, kind of the king of the hill in terms of online word games with the crossword puzzle and spelling bee is like, well, we have to have that. And so they dropped low seven figures. Don't have an exact number, but you know, more than a million dollars on the developer and they now own Wordle. So they say it's still going to be free for a while, which is good because that's the reason everybody's playing it is that it's free. You just pop open your phone and it's free to play. Um, But I have to imagine eventually it'll go behind the pay gate, Um, which to be fair is like $5 a month, I think for access to the crossword, the spelling bee and then whatever else is in there. But if you don't want the rest of that stuff, you might have to pay five bucks a month for Wordle. I don't know. We'll we'll see in a few months. (laughs)
1: Oh, a lot of good games getting picked up and a lot of games being recognized. So that's always really awesome. So congratulations to all those people. And clearly their change that came out of their couch cushion that they could just purchase games like we purchase games, right? Like, clearly that's not an issue. I I have several billions of dollars or millions of dollars to just drop on a game.
0: It's so Uh, weird to be like, yeah, Destiny 2 for $3.6 billion. That's what they paid. That's what Disney paid for Marvel. It's what Disney paid for Star Wars unbelievable A video game yeah to be fair the developer of that video game but they only have one video game out right now <laughs> is worth as much as star wars that's incredible that's just the world we live in now that's crazy and i know you know again people under 30 you're like yeah of course but <laughs> <laughs> well it depends on it depends on if,
1: if that week's episode is boba fett or mandalorian but let's right. skip that for the time being <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll come back to that all right. Well, that's what's going on with gaming out there in the universe. Anthony, what's going on with gaming with our listeners? What's our question of the week?
0: Yeah. So uh, you posted this article to the Facebook page uh, a couple I days know. ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, with it's the title, 85-hour board game play in Gloucester aimed to smash world record. And then you, you kind of paired it with a question, what's your <laughs> longest game? So I have not read this article. Uh can you fill us in on what the 85 hour game is? Cause that's what's an 85 hour game. What is that?
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it depends on, I guess it depends on who you're playing with. Cause any game could be a 85 hour game. It's true. <laughs> uh, again, I, I think it's one of those situations where, you know, somehow people are honestly really impressed by this. And I, I don't know why they're impressed by this because as gamers, we, we play incredible numbers of games all the times. So this is not unusual anywhere. So once everyone started posting back, that that was the kind of thing where it kind of pulled out big. But this was done at, for a world record. And again, I, I think Anthony, the game here is not going to be surprising to you, of course, because I know this is a this is obviously a game that you've played. This is a game we've even in fact talked about. This is Dune. Ah. So yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> that's that's not an eighty five hour game. Um, You know, how do you stretch that to eighty-five? Because here's the thing: you could turn any game into eighty-five hours if you just sit and stare at each other for three days. So, how? Um, hmm, I'm gonna have to read this. I'm interested. I want to know how this works.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think again, it's one of those ideas that it was just like it was done for the world's record. I, I think, I think that's the the kind of general idea of this. Not not that it was like any particular game itself or any kind of imaginative kind of like game contest. This is not like a like you said an 85-hour game that like that's out or known for that. I mean, was it Mega Civilization is like 18 hours. Yeah. Right. So the at least the one that they're showing here is, you know, it, as as far as Dune is concerned is one of their big games, but um obviously, you know, I guess you can stretch any game. I don't know. I yeah. haven't played Dune. I I know it was long. I know you you kind of reviewed it when it when it was like re-released. So but let's, let's say anything, the group itself raises a thousand dollars, or I'm sorry, a thousand pounds for a mental health charity, so that's good. And really? they will need it after 85 yeah. hours. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember a- doing 25 hours, and I was like, yeah, I feel I feel mentally unwell after this.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so. No good. <laughs> Alright, so that's really, I mean, that's, that's awesome. People are raising money for charity mm-hmm. by playing games. It's always cool. Um, but we did ask people what games they have are the longest, and so we got a few good answers. Um, Charlie mentioned that not necessarily a great experience, but underwater cities with four players who hadn't seen each other since the start of COVID, and two <laughs> were learning the game. So oh, no. great game, great people, way too long. Yeah, uh, I could see that with underwater cities. It has ten rounds, and if you yeah. got, if you stop, if you're talking, if you're teaching at the same time, like I remember teaching somebody how to play this at the start of COVID on tabletop simulator and it took us three to four hours and we never Mm -hmm. played it again because that was way too long (laughs) um so i could see in person that kind of dragging a bit
1: you know what's interesting about that too anthony is is just like i remember you and i learning that game for the very first time and it must have taken i I mean maybe this is a was it four to six hours trying to play that game
0: uh, it was, it was long. I don't know if it was quite yeah. that long, but we weren't able to finish it either, were we? Like, no, because one of the players th- had to leave. So it, it was, it was a lift to get through it though. For sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So Matt mentions Dominant Species, a six hour game of Dominant Species, mm-hmm. which that is the reason I haven't played that game very much. <laughs> even though I love it is that it is a game that can go five, six hours. The yeah. first time I played it, I think it took us five hours to play.
1: It did, at least, right? I remember playing that, too. That's a game, another very long, enjoyable game. But I guess if you have to, like, look through cards, I mean, Diamond Species doesn't have as many cards, like Dune has cards or stuff like that, but it has a lot of things you have to check and double-check and calculate. So that's definitely that's definitely a, an endurance game, at the very least.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, and then a couple of you mentioned Twilight Imperium. So David mentions a 10-and-a-half-hour game of Twilight Imperium 4. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know it's a long game when you need to plan for a second meal break. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Um, Tommy mentions Twilight Imperium as well. uh, And then expounding on that once, never again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think also for me, Twilight Imperium, uh, my longest Mm. game of that was eight and a half hours. And I don't know. I can't think of a game I've played longer than that. Um...
1: Yeah, Twilight Twilight Imperium 4. I remember Twilight Imperium 3 actually being longer than four. Like we played it over two days because there was just so much stuff added to that. And I think that was like, that's when you had a lot of the expansions kind of in play. Anytime you add expansions into a game, that really throws it off because you have to like look at multiple rule books.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I haven't played TI4 with the eight player from the Prophecy of Kings expansion and the extra mm -hmm. stuff thrown in. I feel like that's probably gonna add two or three hours. Um, But yeah, no, I I don't. I've never played a game that had to be paused and come back to the next day. Yeah. I'll put it that
1: three, way. Yeah. TI3 was the only one for us. Try to remember if there was anything else. I mean, food Magnet's is a very long game too. Sure. But we were able to get that done in one sitting, but that was quite, quite, quite substantial, especially the first time playing.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah another one, uh, Jeffrey mentions the colonists and I have played oh, the yeah. colonists, but I did not play the entire, of the colonists. It's, it's so long that the game is designed so you can break it up into chunks. There's four different eras you can play through. And so you can play just the first one or two or three or whatever, or you can start later in the game and start like era three. But yeah. If you play all four, it's a 12-hour game. So <laughs> uh, haven't done that.
1: I had some friends at, at one of the game groups who had that game, was playing that game. This was really early on before it got like not the best reviews. And... I was like, oh, I'm still interested. I'd, I'd like to play it. And they're like, cool. As soon as we get done with our game. And then they, as far as I know, they've never got through their game. <laughs> so I never got a chance to play it. So I was kind of bummed out about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing is like you go to BGG and it says 30 minutes to six hours. And you're like, okay, that's <laughs> how do you, how does that scale? I don't understand. But yeah, if you only play the first era and you play it like one or two people, it is like a 30 minute game. But it's not a real full game either. You don't really do much.
1: Yeah, um, I heard that the game is really purposely long. Like they really devolve yeah. the game. So you have to build up to build up to build up and then you get mm-hmm. to do a thing.
0: Yeah. 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 The one time I played, I played it solo through all four and I did play that over mm. two days and it was probably three or four hours. Mm. Um, so it's like an hour per person per era. I think is what it comes out to when you're learning it, maybe 30 minutes, once you know it, it's okay. long. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's my takeaway. It was fine. And it's long. So. Okay. But yeah, lots of good answers there. Uh, lots of long games out there. Um, mm-hmm. I have a few on my shelf that I still just haven't gotten out and <laughs> play in full. So
1: I think you and I've played a couple of war of the Ring games that are obviously very long. Cause it, this strategy kind of comes into place. And then any game that has a follow mechanic, like a lot of the Vitalis Cervi games when you're playing with a full player count, that just chews up the day completely. Uh, I think one of the games that always takes a lot of time is anything that's just like those kind of long space battles, whether it's like Star Wars Armada, or Mm. I know um, Zaya is obviously one of your favorite games of all time.
0: Anytime we have to build out a
1: board... That tends to be a thing, or if you have to put together an army like at the table, like you have to build, you have to build troops up or build units up or something like that. That always takes a lot of time. And again, I've never played Mega Civilization, but again, from what I hear, it's an incredible amount of time to play, just endless numbers. Because again, any any one player could just bring that game to a halt anytime. So. But yeah, hopefully you, your long games are a good games. So again, if you'd like to have a long conversation with us, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the fun places where you could reach us, obviously all the podcast players where you could reach us. And again, if you're utilizing a podcast player or you're watching on YouTube, please drop a like, a um, bunch of stars, a bunch of reviews, whatever it is, just send a comment. Love to hear from you, especially if you're stuck in a long game. you have a lot of time on your hands. So why not? Right. <laughs> Or you could send a call for help. Be like, get me out of this game. Just get me out of here. So we will respond to those quests as well. (laughs) All right. So that's what's happening with our listeners. Anthony, let's talk about the games that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders.
0: All right. Uh, So I have one that we actually did see at PAX Unplugged. We didn't get a chance to play it because the rulebook was photocopied and not great. Um, Mm -hmm. But it did look interesting and so i have it on my radar now that it's on kickstarter that's i'm gonna i'm gonna say this wrong so apologies Mm -hmm. in advance Jiangnan life of gentry this is from widest game design uh the studio out of taiwan and uh they've released a lot of really great games over the last few years so um some of the most recent ones mini express um just looking through the list, but of course it's like all these different languages. Uh, (laughs) uh, Lots of good stuff. So the Flow of History was another one, Flip City, Jiraku. Um, So lots of good games that have come out over the years and often they fly under the radar and yet consistently good stuff, right? And I've backed Mm -hmm. several of their games on Kickstarter. So uh, always keeping my eye out when they post something new. And... This one is about the Ming dynasty in the 16th century in ancient China and mm-hmm. kind of the, you know, the, the rise of uh, the merit system and the ability to kind of rise in social class based on skill rather than birth, which was revolutionary just honestly anywhere, <laughs> but especially for the time in a feudal yeah. period, um, you know, on planet earth. So you're going to, Basically you're going through and you're kind of developing these different talents, art, poetry, opera, calligraphy, and you're, you know, there's worker placement elements in the game, mechanically speaking, but you're going through and you're trying to explore these different markets and tea shops and going along the river and you're trying to find new trends and compose great things and rise in the gentry in 16th century China. So they have uh, posted a fair bit of the artwork. There's a lot of, you know, stuff up on the Kickstarter you can look at. So you have like little three-dimensional boats that float down the river. Um, You've got uh, beautiful full-color tiles with the illustrations of the characters. And uh, it it just looks really interesting. It's not quite enough here to to tell me whether or not I want to back this or not. And it is Kickstarter price 2022. So $90 (laughs) for the Lux edition. And who knows what the shipping is. So I don't know. I They say MSRP on the deluxe is 117, which I don't even know if those numbers are real anymore. They're just like, this is how we justify the 90 that we're charging. Sure. Um, and then if you want the all in, it's 140, which comes with like some extra bling on top of the bling. So <laughs> I don't know. The $65 version of the game is just a straight up normal, you know, mid tier Euro game. You're getting some cardboard and meeples in a box. Um, deluxe edition they've upgraded it with standees for the characters the 3d boats and metal ingots um, mm-hmm. there's also a fifth player pack that i will never use and throw in a corner somewhere
1: <laughs> uh,
0: and then if you want the, like the super all in you get a wooden insert and a play mat which i don't know <laughs> i don't know if you need that uh the game however looks interesting so i'm it's not doing super well on kickstarter this has been up for two or three days now and it's only at thirty-seven thousand. Um, their goal was only ten thousand. So, it's going to back. They're going to produce it. You know, they set a goal low enough that I think they were going to produce it no matter what. But not that many people are biting, uh, mm. and so I don't know. I'm like, I want to play it. It looks interesting, like mechanically and thematically. There's a lot going on here, but I don't want to spend that much money. But it's not a game where I know that somebody I know is going to back it so if i don't yeah. back it i'm probably never gonna get a chance to play it so
1: <laughs>
0: i don't know on the fence there uh, probably won't because of the price but i'm looking forward to trying it either way once it is available generally speaking
1: <laughs> yeah I, you know this is where it becomes very difficult you know and i don't think of this in a fomo kind of way i think of this like in a practical. Mm. You know, do I have to buy this now? What's the best version of the game? What, what? You know, like because a lot of times when those games are like, as you mentioned, Anthony, like blinged out, I'm not really looking at it as like, oh, those are really cool things that I can look at, but like it probably makes the gameplay better or more immersive or more thematic instead of having some kind of paper or cardboard piece. Mm. So it's just kind of disappointing when you see a game and you're like, oh that's relatively expensive. And then you see like the, the the game with like the upgraded pieces, like you said, the standees are like, why would you have standees? And like, Oh, because it's now cost prohibitive. And then like, you see like the ultimate edition and you're like, maybe I don't need that, but I haven't played the game yet. So maybe it does play better with the mat. I don't know if it necessarily needs an insert, but here's the insert. So like now you're kind of questioning yourself and your sanity Mm -hmm. as far as like, How should I buy this? If I have to buy the insert later and it needs an insert, then, uh, and then if, do I want the map now or do I need the map? And like you said, this comes back to the whole idea that like, seriously, can you just release the core game set, let people play it and then come out with the expansion as another Kickstarter? Because I don't know, like I, I look at this too. And like you said, as a good pedigree, like I want to back this too, but it is. It is like on that line, if not just a little bit further than that line. As far as like, is this just a, again? This is, I think this is the the current sin of Kickstarter, because it doesn't seem like these games would not be produced otherwise. Like it seems like they have, you know, these are not like, you know, somebody making their their game for the first time with their own company. These are games that are going to be produced. It's just a matter of like, hey, it makes a lot more financial sense if they could sell everything to you all at once before you play it, and then maybe not buy the expansion or take a risk on the expansion. But at the same time, it's like, it just it just makes it too hard. It just it just honestly makes it too hard. And again, also too, like most people, I know we're kind of crazy, and I understand, and I accept my insanity and completionist and FOMO and everything else, but like, most normal adults who play board games are not on Kickstarter around the clock looking at every project that comes in. So when this game actually does come out, it's too late for them to back and get all the good stuff. I don't know.
0: Yeah, man. I 100% agree on all that. Um, and, you know, it's 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 difficult because this game, they, they tried to put it up in November. You know, mm-hmm. it's the second time they're running the Kickstarter. And I don't know, you know, I haven't dug into the details of why they postponed it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was up for a little while and it had a couple hundred backers. I know there were some issues with like artwork and um, like board layout that people had, but in general I think the price is always going to be a thing people come back to. It's like, it's a lot of money you're asking for a game that maybe it's amazing, but if nobody's played it, there's no way to know that for sure. Right. That it's Mm worth $110 with shipping. That's that's a lot to ask, and that I mean I know that's just what games cost now on Kickstarter, but all that does for me is make it so I'm like, well, I'm only going to back two or three a year then, and I'm going to make sure the ones I really want. I'm going to get whatever Lacerda puts out this year. He'll put out at least one game this year, and maybe one or two more, and that's it.
1: Well, like I said, I, I was trying. Like, and if I didn't make the point, I apologize. Like, I think that's the sin of of Kickstarter currently is is the these games are mediocre. They're not bad. It doesn't seem like there's really any like we always had, to, you know, like early on, especially in the beginning when I remember I did the podcast kick in the habit. And there was a lot of bad games, and a lot of like rando people trying to steal IPs and, and art assets and things like that. So they were like bad. And then there was games that were just bad because it was Kickstarter and like people really needed the money to be able to do a thing. And that's they weren't trying to cheat people. They were just first time game designers. But now we're at the point where like kickstarters use for like literally everything. So like you go on a Kickstarter and it's like, should I buy a game for over a hundred dollars? That's just going to be another average Euro game that I'm going to be like, Oh, well that that's okay. And I'll stick it in my closet and never play that game again, because I have half a dozen of those games. They're not bad, but they're not particularly good and therefore not really particularly, you know, worthy of that particular price point in the shipping. Right. Cause like, I don't know about you, but like I go on, you know, all the websites and I try to purchase a hundred dollars worth of games, which is not hard to do, but but inevitably (laughs) I do that. So I get the free shipping, which again is kind of crazy because you're only talking about maybe like 10 bucks more, but, or, you know, but here you're buying everything and paying for the shipping. You can just buy it later in a more generic format. It's just the. Oddity of the time where a game is very good and then you can't get it or you have to pay more for it later. Right. So, I don't know. It's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem that I have. Clearly, it's not a problem that most people have, but it's definitely a problem I have. Uh, speaking of a problem that I have, uh, The Spice, The Spice Melange. Uh, the game from my acquisition, Dorsaurus Week, is an expansion to a game that. I've played and felt was decent, like a decent, good game, like not necessarily the worst game in the world, not necessarily the best game in the world. Um, Dune Imperium. This is its upcoming expansion, uh, Rise of Ix. This might already be out depending on where you are. You might have an opportunity to already purchase this, by all means do so. But at the moment, I don't have a copy of it. And it seems like an awesome game. And this might be something you might want to pick up. And, again, if you don't know anything about the Dune universe, probably don't want me to explain it all to you here. We might actually do an episode (laughs) on the board games here in particular. I think we did one recently, right, Anthony? We talked about all the games in that kind of universe. So go back to that episode because the Dune universe is multiple books and – the movie's barely, barely, not even barely scratches the surface of Dune. It's a very cool universe. Like it is an amazing sci-fi universe. If you like sci-fi, you owe it to yourself to, at the very least, watch the recent release, the you know, the new movie that just recently came out. But uh, the main game, the base game that comes out that we've already played and I reviewed the game is, is a fairly good game. Basically, it's a deck builder that has some elements of action selection, so you'll be playing on a board in order to activate certain spots on the board. And then there's battling and ways in which you convert resources to other resources because it's a, basically it's a Euro game. And then there's a number of different action cards and special cards that come into play. It's a relatively good game. I, I can't say necessarily anything bad about it other than the deck itself doesn't cycle you know, often enough or completely. So if you are building a certain deck, like Fremen, for example... And there's a bunch of cards that you really want, but they're at the bottom. You may never see them, and so you're building a deck that's going nowhere. So, it kind of—if it would fix that thing, it'd be great. Here's the expansion. To my knowledge, it does not fix that thing, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, Rise of Ix. You get three new great houses with unique uh, leaders' abilities. Again, the leader abilities aren't radical. They let you do basically one minor thing, but it kind of distinguishes the characters it's basically like having a one card in front of you throughout the game there's additional technologies which are good Uh, there is the dreadnoughts which is a little bit of a game changer because in the game at the end of every round you're basically battling more or less and the dreadnoughts add some special conditions there were like three troops in the game and you know it gives it it gives the battling a little more flavor to it and i I particularly like that too Um, there's infiltrators and again It just adds more complexity to a good game that could really use more complexity. So that's good. Happy about that. And, again, I think for Anthony's sake, it doesn't add a fifth player. So (laughs) Uh, I think think we're okay for now. But uh, Dune, Imperium, Rise of Ix. If you haven't played Dune Imperium, again, you do not need to be a Dune fan to play it. It's pretty straightforward. It's a bunch of shapes and conversion of resources. But it's a pretty cool game. And now it has a pretty cool expansion. It doesn't give you everything that you need, but it gives you something more. And that's always a good thing. Oh. All right, everyone. So that's what games that are eventually going to be hitting our table. Anthony, let's talk about the games that did hit the table. Let people know if those are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them. If the games are a dodge and they should avoid them. Or, in fact, if those the games are the dreaded burn. And no matter how many billions and millions of dollars you have... It's not going to save that game. Sorry, <laughs> no one's no one's coming for you in that
0: space. Nope, not going to happen. So, um, what do you have up first right. this week? All right, I have two uh, mm-hmm. relatively quickish card games. Uh, both of these review copies provided by uh, First Up Ten from AEG, mm-hmm. and this is a push your luck auction game uh, where sure. you're trying to complete different sets of various number cards. So, there are two sets of cards in the deck. You have numbers, and then you have what look like dice, but those are currency cards, which currency you will then be able to use to do things. Um, So you will be taking different cards from a tableau of sorts. Um, There's also an auction element to it when wild cards come up. And you're trying to complete sequential runs of those numbers in different suits. So there are four different suits as well as wild cards that kind of help fill in the gaps. And then the longest sequence for each of those is going to give you a certain amount of points. So the more points you can get at the end of the game, whoever has the most points. So basically the most sequences you put together. Um, The flow of the game, so when it's your turn, because I think this this kind of illustrates the game better than running through any of the rules, is you're going to draw a card and place it on the table. If it's a wild card, you immediately pause everything and do an auction for the wild card. So people are going to use their currency tokens and bid for that wild card. Once the auction is done, you go back to putting out cards, um, unless you decide you want to take whatever's there. So you place the number or currency card face up on the tableau. There's a bust element to it. There's press your luck here. So the numbered cards, if they ever add up to more than 10, you bust. And then bad things happen. (laughs) You get a a bust token. um, And then the cards go into the market for future people to access. But the currency cards will will subtract from the total of the number cards. So as those currency cards come out, they reduce the total value of what's out there. So if you have like a seven number and you're afraid the next one's going to bust, but you also have a five currency card, your actual total on the tableau is two. So you're fine, probably, unless a nine comes out. Um, But the, the currency cards can also bust. So if you push those too far then you'll also bust on that. So you have to be careful. The busts are a little bit different for each of them, but um, effectively, if you bust on currency, other people are going to get currency at the table. And if you bust on cards, you just basically lose your turn. Uh, So typical press your luck game, you know, push too hard and it's no good. Uh, Eventually though, you're going to take the cards that you want from the tableau, assuming you didn't bust, right? So once, if you're like, okay, I'm good. It's eight total. There's like two twos, a three and a one right? You're like, all right, I'll take these cards. You take all the cards and you can choose to take the currency or the number cards. You can't take both. Um, You can only have up to 10 currency tokens at any point in time. So keep that in mind as well. And you will put those cards into your tableau. Um, Other players are going to gain currency based on the tableau as well. So whatever Currency tokens are out there. If you didn't take them, if you took the number cards, they're going to get currency. So you're constantly getting money that you can use for these auctions and everything. Um, and that's it. You just kind of go through that and cycle through and everybody takes their turn until all the, the whole deck is run out. And then you see who had the most sequences of numbers. So you can reorder your sequence you know, during the game, however you need to do it. Um, the wild cards can be dropped in as necessary. And you're just trying to get a full sequence of from one to nine you're not going to get all four colors from one to nine because there just aren't enough cards in the game to do that. Other people will get the cards. So you'll get as many sequences as you can, and then you're going to figure out your total score um, at the end of the game. And this whole process takes, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, depending on how much thought people want to put into what cards they're pulling. A little bit of AP can turn this game into a, an hour because the deck's pretty hefty, but if people are just flying through it, it's pretty fast. Um, it's fun. It's light. It's pretty simple. I honestly, I could see throwing this down as a filler game, you know, on game night between larger games. It's nothing mind blowing. Having played it a few times now, it was interesting. But at the same time, often you kind of get into these cycles where you're just doing the same things or you just, you get a bunch of low number of cards out in the tableau. You just take them all. And that's that. And then you kind of worry about organizing them all into their sequences at the end of the game instead of actually paying attention to what you need. Um, (laughs) So it's a a good play game, right? It's not a buy. I wouldn't run out to grab this. It's not like revolutionizing $20 small box games. But it's fine. If someone wanted to play it, I will bring it out. I will keep it because it's easy and accessible and the kids liked it fine. But I don't Mm -hmm. think it blew anybody's mind. Okay. So that's 10. Uh, The other game that Mm -hmm. I wanted to mention is the opposite in that you absolutely should own a copy of this game. uh, The crew mission deep sea. Now I I should say up front that the quest for planet nine, the first crew game was an instant buy for me. It was one of my favorite games of the year, uh, the year it came out and it's just an amazing, amazing game all the way around. Um, Mission Deep Sea changes the theme. Now you're underwater. So the rockets are now submarines and the, your astronauts are now wearing like swimsuits underwater. Um, But the big thing it does is it changes how the missions work. So in the previous game, you would go through the booklet and it would tell you what the missions were and you kind of set it up in the middle. Now you have a deck of cards, a pretty substantial deck of cards, and different types of things you're trying to do that you can kind of build out based on the number of players, based on the time frame, based on the level of challenge that you want. Um, and the result of that is, one, higher replayability because tremendous variability. But two, you don't get stuck. The crew is obnoxious in that you just occasionally hit a point, like right around 15, right around 25, 30, I think was another one. Where you're just like, I can't, we can't beat this. And you just, you're going to lose over and over and over again. And you can't like construct it or craft it or change it based on player count or anything like that. And so certain player counts, it's just like, you can't beat this. It's just not possible. Um, It was possible if you got lucky enough, but it just, and it made the game less fun, despite it being such a fun game. So this version of the game changes that one element. Um, There's a couple other small tweaks, but that's like the one huge thing that really overhauls it and just fundamentally improves and makes the crew a better game and it was already a great game so you know if you have the crew Quest for Planet 9 buy Mission Dipsy because it's better I will say I probably won't play Quest for Planet 9 again because this is just a better game and it's generally it's the same mechanics but now it's a better way to play it so it kind of makes the old version of the game unnecessary Maybe trade it in, find somebody else who wants the old one, give it to them. But um, the crew is already, I guess what it does is it bumps the other one down to a play because now Mission Deep Sea is an absolute buy. So if you have 20 bucks and you're trying to decide between two um, quick, fun filler games, uh, definitely go with the crew Mission Deep Sea. 10's all right. Uh, It's a play. But uh, this is a brilliant game made more brilliant by adjusting probably the one thing in that game that it needed to be adjusted to make it better.
1: Do do you know, I mean, this is an off question. Do they have this as a separate entry in board game geek? Is is this a, is this different enough? That's a different game. Like you're clearly saying, you're clearly saying that this is not, you don't own both. You don't need to own both, right? They're not, they are no way different enough to own both.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a sequel that replaces the original. Like you're just like, you have no reason to go back and yeah. And like, I'm sure there's people who would argue with that and say, no, no, the space theme or no, no, the mission structure, you know, you go through these different missions and kind of the, the flavor text in the book and, and trying to complete the campaign. That's what makes the original so good. And I don't disagree with that, but this just rounds off all the rough edges of that process. You know, mm-hmm. and you could easily just give someone a campaign with the cards that are already in this box. You can just download a PDF, right? Whereas you can't really go back to the old version and fix that without giving them a new deck of cards. And so you might as well just get this. So um, I do own both. I, I'm probably not going to get rid of the original, but I can't imagine playing it again anytime soon.
1: Yeah, scalability alone, just the number of players and things like that. Right. I mean, I think that makes a difference in games. It's very hard to scale. So that makes a lot of sense. All right, so uh, that's our at the table. Anthony, now on to our feature review. Our feature review, of course, is the one feature review to rule them all from board to from book to board, the Lord of the Rings, the feature review. So we talked about this a little bit at the opening, Lord of the Rings, um, known by, I don't know, somewhat of an unknown author, friend of yours by chance.
0: I never heard of the guy. I don't know. No. <laughs> It's a funny joke. I'm going to do it every time. Um, there you go. Yeah. No, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, uh, mm-hmm. famously, not originally a writer. He's a linguist he mm-hmm. designed his own language, multiple languages and decided, Hey, I should build a world around this. And then we got middle earth and some beautiful languages. So, yeah. um, it's one of the reasons I feel like this, this universe is so effective is it feels lived in because it really is like it was sure. designed as a universe. It's his life's work. Yeah. Did you happen to see the movie? The movie about his life? Oh, no. No, I didn't.
1: It's a dramatized version of it. I saw it. It's it's, it's a little slow, to say the least, right? Mm. You, you, you talk about Lord of the Rings. You're like, oh, it's going to be this epic story of his life. And it's like, I mean, there's some elements of it. But it's interesting how they kind of weave the story together with some of those reflections of his life, the war, and things like this. Like, he was... Uh, famously friends with um, it C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. who did the "The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe." Yeah, um, yeah. and again, coming out with these two ver- two massive versions of of just like historic fantasy that like everything else has drawn from, you know, especially from Lord of the Rings. Since then, right? Yeah, like you can point, you can look at harry potter you can look at dungeons and dragons you can look at so many different things and go oh no no no, lord you know tolkien did that that was tolkien's (laughs) base premise for a lot of things and again he drew from a lot of you know folk tales and mythologies as well so um i don't know if anything is particularly brand new and unusual but nonetheless that that was certainly a kind of like a foundational work for so much especially board games all those kind of dungeon crawls and everything else is primarily kind of based on his early work so anthony we have a quite a little bit quite of a famous list of board games i know that most of these games rank fairly high on board game geek most of these games rate high amongst our listeners and and a lot of people out there in the world for a lot of great reasons because they are just generally great games and again if you're a fan of Lord of the Rings, you're certainly going to be a fan that like the love and care was put into these games. If you're not a fan of Lord of the Rings, these games might actually hook you onto the series because the games are so good. I'm trying to think if there is a series or a particular IP that has games that are this good, just like top to bottom. Like This is a murderer's row of great games, um, especially the top of the order. And I don't think that there is. Um, some of these games are a little bit older and maybe the the mechanics have been since updated, but I've never necessarily run across a Lord of the Rings game other than maybe like an insanity level of like a monopoly or something like that. But, um, these games are very good. And again, I I think that these games are part of, should be part of anyone's collections, but I, I can gush for another hour, but let's not, let me not gush Anthony. I'll let you roll with this. So, uh, let's talk about the great games here.
0: All right. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to run through these chronologically in terms of when they came out uh, because they kind of build on each other in some cases. Uh, And so the first one I wanted to mention, and there's a lot too. if you go look up Lord of the Rings or I think the easiest way to find it is look for author, the family authors, J R R Tolkien on Mm -hmm. board game geek. There's like 350 some odd entries, right? Um, And some of those are expansions or whatever for other games, but there's a lot of games. So these are kind of the the top tier of those. Um, But the first one, and maybe the first, first one is 1977's war of the ring. So this is, you know, kind of the, the proto everything for reenacting, uh, the, the Lord of the rings, the whole campaign for the one ring, right. Um, famously designed by Howard Barash and Richard Berg, uh, Richard Berg famously designed kind of everything we know about, you know, a, a lot of these modern war games and the, the game itself, you know, it's, it's kind of developed over the years and people still play it religiously, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, but it is very much of its time. It's 1970s hex based movement, um, area majority. It's got all these different mechanics mixed in, but it it is based on kind of that core element of war games at the time. So lots of little cardboard chits, lots of moving around these hexes. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, a, a very important place in a lot of people's hearts and kind of the, first of these games, you know, going back almost 50 years now to draw on an IP to this level at that time. Sure. Um, and so because of that, we kind of have to jump forward a fair chunk of time, right? And there's some small stuff that came out in the 90s. Um, Lord of the Rings, there was a collector, collectible card game in there at some point. But uh, 2000's The Lord of the Rings from Reiner Knizia which was recently re-released two years ago by Fantasy Flight, the anniversary edition is uh, kind of the bringing it all back. Right. So we've got like the artwork from John Howe, um, this kind of classically, classically Kinesia abstractish cooperative game, right? Which it came out. Was it a year before Fellowship? uh, The movie dropped. So Right as people were starting to like get into that mindset of Lord of the Rings as an IP, right? <laughs> Not just like those books that we've kind of all heard of, especially like the nerdier among us, kind of grew up reading that our, our parents gave us or we kind of shared with each other, you know, at school. But now it's it's on the verge of becoming this mega thing, and so um, Koniti kind of got in on it, got a game out there, and you know, it's a cooperative game about destroying the ring while trying to survive the influence of Sauron, as as one does. Um, and, uh, it, it kind of holds up, right? Like I picked up the anniversary edition a couple of years ago and it's, you know, it's, it's not really on par with some of the bigger, more Epic games. It only takes like an hour to play, but it plays pretty well. Um, middle earth strategy battle game. Uh, this one did come out with the movie. So it launched in 2001. This is from games workshop and it is their miniatures, game set in the world of middle earth and so it's been rebranded and relaunched and re everything you know to heck and back over the last 21 years basically whenever something comes out for lord of the rings they kind of rebrand or mix it up a little bit so there was the hobbit miniatures game at some point there was the lord of the rings miniatures game um they had sets come out with each of the movies sets come out with each of the hobbit movies they'll probably have a set come out this year with the new tv show and so there's like 20 plus years of content for this and it's from games workshop. So the quality is high. The cost is high. So getting in on it's a little bit much, but um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here for people who like tabletop miniature games, like war games. Um, there is a big Epic game with, you know, decades of pedigree behind it. All right. Uh, the next big one, well, the big one <laughs> I should say is uh Originally came out in 2004 and then re-released in second edition in 2012, War of the Ring. So, and this is, you know, not 1977's War of the Ring. This is War of the Ring uh, from uh, designers Robert DiMisliolo, Marco Maggi, and Francesco Nepatello Ares Games. My number one game of all time. And still, you know, 10 years later, this is the 10th anniversary of War of the Ring, Um, Of second edition, it's just a brilliant game of asymmetrical, one on one tug of war reenacting this entire trilogy. Uh, And it's just, it's absolutely brilliant game. And, you know, so there's rumors that there's a card game coming re implementing this. There are two expansions, a third one on the way. Um, But at the end of the day, like, give me War of the Ring base set, I will play it anytime, anywhere, even if I don't have the time. Forget it. I'll call and sick to work. Like, if you want to play, we're playing this game. Uh, brilliant game, regardless of theme, but the theme especially. This is like one of the best implementations of an IP theme in a board game. We had a like a whole big episode. You can probably find it on YouTube still of like this versus Star Wars Rebellion. Just kind of like the Star Wars version of this. And, you know, we fought tooth and nail. I took t- I took it to the mat for War of the Ring. because <laughs> I, I feel like it, this is the IP game if you want one. Um, Lord of the Rings, the confrontation, uh, Reiner Knizia's kind of reimplementation and follow-up to 2000s, uh, Lord of the Rings. It's, um, it's like an asymmetrical Stratego, like, like it has like the little tiles that you're moving around. So, I uh, I did play this actually back in the day because someone's compared it to Stratego and I was like, oh, I want to play Stratego. Uh, <laughs> I love Stratego. It's one of my favorites. And so it, it's a little bit like that. Um and unlike the original Kneetia Lord of the Rings game this one is not cooperative it's one on one um so uh, if you want like a two player back and forth that's not 3 hours long like War of the Ring you've got the confrontation which you know i'm pretty sure is out of print so you don't really have the confrontation <laughs> you're not going to find it but uh it's it's been re-released, I think, twice over the years. Uh, the second edition came out in 2005, kind of reworked by Eric Lang and Christian Peterson. Um, maybe they'll do it again this year, just you know, since it's a Lord of the Rings kind of year. Uh, 2009's Middle Earth Quest from Fantasy Flight Games, designed by Corey Kaneska, Christian Peterson, and Tim Urin. Uh, this is, it's, I guess. I don't want to compare it to war of the ring. Cause it's not really like that. It's more of like a kind of a adventurous type of thing. Um, so it is two to four players. You can play with three uh, is what people recommend as the best way to do it. But one player has to be Sauron and try to spread evil across the lands. And then up to three players can be heroes and kind of do their best to, to fight off, uh, you know, do the things that you do to Sauron, <laughs> hopefully destroy his ring. Um, so it's kind of falls into that one versus many sweet spot. This was two thousand nine. So like I feel like the two thousands in general, from like two thousand to twenty ten, everybody was all about that one versus many mechanic, and it's kind of come back a little bit over the years. But uh, this one's a funny one. Like I I've seen it here and there. I've almost picked it up a couple times. I've still never quite played it, uh, and it's now it's fairly out of print. So it's it's a little out of reach in terms of cost at this point. 2011's The Lord of the Rings The Card Game is probably the second best known of these. Um, And right now, it's kind of back on top of the the hotness because they re-released in a revised edition, um, which it does have its own entry on Board Game Geek, the revised core set. I don't know that it's that different to be a completely separate game, but it is uh, basically a cooperative adventure game in which you're going to take up to three heroes, they each kind of represent a different like virtue or, or house type of thing in the Lord of the Rings universe. And then you're going to play cards out to try to defeat these various minions and accomplish goals within inv- individual scenarios. So the new version of the game does all that, but has like specific goals you're working towards as part of a campaign. Uh, so kind of making it a little bit more like Arkham or a little bit more like the uh, campaign packs for Marvel. And both of those games are based on this. So this is the original cooperative card game from Fantasy Flight. And uh, yeah, it's I still have a lot of this content. It's just a fantastic game. Well worth it if you're a big Lord of the Rings fan. Um, all right. The One Ring is the... um lost my tab here. Where did it go? <laughs> uh, so the tabletop RPG, um, The One Ring from Cubicle 7... This has been around for a few years. Uh, They launched a Kickstarter last year to kind of bring about the second edition of this. But basically, if you want to play an RPG in the world of Tolkien's Middle Earth, uh, the One Ring is the way to do it, right? It's just this sprawling, epic, beautiful artwork, all these different things, brings in so much of the lore. And I've always wanted to play this and I've just never had a group of people to play it with. So I've been tempted to buy the core book multiple times because of that, but I've held off, just knowing I need a group of people before I can commit and pick that up. So someday, uh, Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring deck building game and two towers and return of the King. So these are the Cryptozoic um, Cerberus engine deck building game card games. There was three of them, one for each of the movies using the artwork from the movies, but Hey, it's Lord of the Rings. So we're going to call it related to the, (laughs) to the books. Um, Fairly simple deck building games. It yeah, There's like 30 of them that Cryptozoic released over the years using the same engine. So if you like that engine and you like the theme, there you go. You got a, you got a way to play it. Um, I feel like these are out of print at this point. Uh, I don't know if they'll bring them back just because of the way licenses work, but they are around. The Battle of Five Armies came out in 2014. Uh, this is the sequel to War of the Ring. And it reenacts the Battle of Five Armies from the end of The Hobbit. Uh, It's a little bit shorter of a game, a little bit more accessible and more tactical in that you have a lot of units on the map to start. The map is smaller. Everything's closer together and you're going to fight a lot. So it's a little bit more like the, you know, kind of modern run of dudes on a map games. But with War of the Ring mechanics mixed in with the way the cards work, because the mechanic there is kind of. Consistent with what you had, more of the ring with managing your deck and getting your your major heroes out, um, but it is definitely more like head to head. Now, I have played games of this that have gone pretty long, three to four hours, but consistently it is about I'd say half to two thirds the length of War of the Ring, unless you go to the like, kind of to the mat on both sides. Uh right, Adventures in Middle Earth. This is kind of the other uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. Tabletop RPG from Cubicle Seven. This is based on D and D Fifth Edition. So, if you want a, kind of the familiar, accessible um, set of rules that everybody knows and loves from the Dungeons and Dragons Open Game License, then you've got Adventures in Middle Earth. Um, so, the actual license for this kind of switched over to Free League in 2020. So, you can't pick up new stuff anymore. But there's a lot of stuff still out there for Adventures in Middle Earth. Um I think the one ring is kind of where that energy is focused now with the I don't remember who picked up the license for that, but uh the new version of that coming, also from Free League. Um pretty soon, I think, when they start shipping that. Hunt for the Ring from 2017. This is the prequel to War of the Ring. Um, same design group and Ares games. And this is a hidden movement game, like pure hidden movement. So think Fury of Dracula. Um and it's basically everything that happens up until the point you start War of of the Ring. It's like the Hobbits getting out and going off to find um, help, right? So you can play this in two halves, um, leaving the Shire and then getting from the Shire to Rivendell. And it leads in directly to uh, War of the Ring. So you could actually take this game, play both halves of it on either side of the board, and then kind of carry that over into War of the Ring. And there, there are rules in there to help you do that. So. Um, I've not really had a chance to play this as much as I would like. It's not, it's not War of the Ring. It is a hidden movement game and hidden movement games all have kind of their foibles. They're not, they have issues. (laughs) Let's just put it because you can just run people in a circle at times, but it's still got John Howe and Francesco Marioli artwork. It's beautiful to look at. Um, and it's relatively streamlined and the fact that it links up with War of the Ring is just fantastic. So it will always be on my shelf. And then the most recent release, um, major release in the Lord of the Rings gamography is the Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. Uh, this is from Fantasy Flight Games, and it takes the mechanics that we know and love from Mansions of Madness and Descent and kind of mashes them up a little bit and gives us a adventure game with miniatures on a you know growing map that is run by an app. So it's not for everybody. I you know Some people are just never going to play an app game. Totally respect that. But the game is fantastic. So I will say, if you've ever played Mansions of Madness and loved it, or if you've ever played Descent, uh, especially with the app support, and you love that, and you like Lord of the Rings, you have to play this game because it, it's, it's all that stuff put together. Um, the original base set of the game is a little generic in that universe. You don't have as many of the heroes and stuff, especially in the campaign, the story mode itself that you're working through. But there are two big box expansions and several smaller expansions that have come out over the years. Um, The most recent big box expansion, Spreading War, just came out like two weeks ago. And that adds a lot more familiar characters. You go into the Mines of Moria, you you have Gandalf out there swinging a sword and his staff. Um, So lots of good content here. They said they're done making new content for this game. Um, So there's a good chance it. I don't know if they're going to stop printing it or not, but it is Fantasy Flight and that's what they do. So if you do want this... Either track it down now or keep an eye out for when it starts going on clearance because (laughs) at some point it won't be available because they're not making stuff for it anymore. Uh, It is very good though. So highly recommended. My kids love it. Uh, And I've I've played through the campaign a couple times now. So there you have it. 14 games in the world of Middle Earth Uh, from tabletop RPGs to good old fashioned war games and adventure games. Lots of good stuff.
1: Nice. All right, so that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.